okay. After uh, running around because I forgot the attachment to the, the mic and then swapping seats, here we go. All right, cool. So first I have to start off by saying happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. You're 24, 23? 23 today, yeah. Yes. On the 23rd, so golden birthday. Happy birthday. Thanks. So it's going to be awesome to, to spend in Medellin. Oh, yeah, dude. It's so great. <laughs> okay, so what's the difference between paragliding and parasailing? I actually don't know what parasailing is, but I can tell you what paragliding is because I just did it. So you there's a hill and you run down the hill and then the wind takes you and um, uh, whatever this uh, parachute it takes you and a parachute up into the air and you just... This is just on the ground. No water. Yeah, but, no okay. water. So I guess that's a difference. Then, right? Yeah, I think that's the only difference. Yeah. Like with uh, parasailing, you're just like attached to a boat and then you're kind of like on a... Like, like, like swing, uh -huh. and then the boat takes off, and you go up in the air. Ah, uh, yeah, so, so it's literally like, the same thing, except once on land. Yeah, me and my sister did that uh, in uh, Key West. Florida. Ah, cool. Yeah, it was really Dude, fun. I didn't know they have stuff like this in Florida. <laughs> yeah, I just remember it being like pretty intense because you're you're like high up uh, off the ground or, mm -hmm. or off the water, and then like looking down, and I remember, I think I remember seeing sharks or. Maybe something like this. Like it, it didn't. It looked scary. Wow. Yeah, dude. But after like the first few minutes, it's kind of smooth, right? Like, yeah. You feel comfortable. I, I feel like I was like tense the whole time. Just like, oh my god. And then I said, can I take my phone out? He's like, yeah, go ahead. And then I held on to it for dear life. Cool. I snapped a selfie, and you can just see fear in my eyes. I'm like, oh my god, I'm actually doing this. Later, I'll show you some of the uh, the pictures that I have from uh, skydiving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a lot of just pure terror photos where I'm like trying, and I'm living in Hawaii at the time, so I'm doing a lot of like shaka hang loose signs, mm -hmm. and so I'm trying to be cool like this. But then it's just a pure look of terror. Oh my god. I didn't know how you can do that. I would be terrified. When, so you, you did that recently. Um, so the last time I skydived was in 2000, I think it was the early 2015, possibly like late 2014. Yeah. And yeah. how'd you decide? You were just like, fuck it, I'm going. Yeah, I was like uh, about your age at this time, yeah. and I was in the Marine Corps, and I was at a point in my life where I wanted to do like very, uh, like adrenaline junkie type things, and this was one of them. Was just I was like, oh, that that looks really ter terrifying. I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, that is quite terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's people that do it like for a living though, and they that that eventually goes away. Like uh, when you jump tandem with yeah. uh, guys, I mean, they, uh, I have videos of these guys just like smiling the whole time. There's no look of like fear or even worry. Just casually looking at their uh, like altimeter yeah. to see the, the altitude. And then, yeah, just yeah, some of them look bored. Like there's yeah. a lot where I'm like really stiff and just trying to like play it cool. Yeah. And they're just like, I mean, I could swear they're yawning like midair. Yeah, I mean, it happens. Like you do something enough times, and eventually you're like, okay, I got this down. Like sure. I know I'll be fine. And and when you like think about the facts, I mean, it's you're statistically you have a greater chance of dying driving to the the, the landing zone yeah. than you do from jumping. Yeah. And if you can just like think almost, I guess in this case, irrationally like that, yeah, it's fucking nothing. 
Yeah. I didn't get to that point though. Yeah, see, I can think this through, but I can't calm myself down. You know, I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. Like, 800 people have done this paragliding, what I did today. Like, nobody has ever died. Like, I probably won't be the first one, but I'm still, like, so scared going to it. Actually, uh, so, like, you mentioned death. The uh, day before I skydived for my first time uh, with uh, a friend in Hawaii, yeah. there was somebody at the exact same company that died. Um, uh, nothing. There was a guy that died um, the day before. and At the exact company? Yeah, and I mean, we were, we were just too committed. Like, <laughs> oh we had been talking it up for hours, and we just we, we went with it. But yeah. Oh my god. I don't know if that shows our like toughness or just our stupidity, but we we continue to it. Your dedication for sure. <laughs> yeah, sometimes dedication I guess isn't the, the smartest thing. <laughs> sometimes you have to become undedicated. Speaking of which, so you uh, used to work I guess as a banker. What was your official title? So I worked in HR and investment bank. Um, okay. Yeah, the second largest investment bank in the world. And I was doing, you know, I was a, what they call a generalist. So it's someone, not necessarily a recruiter, just like if you as an employee had a question about anything to do with the company, I'd be your first point of contact. So let's say payroll, uh, employment verification, benefits, all of those things, you would come to me for. So I did that for maybe a year and I was just like. Get directly out of college? Right out of college, yeah. And then I decided, kind of had enough of this, I don't really like what I'm doing, I'm spending a lot of time committing to something that really won't bring me any happiness in life, or put me any closer to my goals, so... You caught on to that young. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, but I, I think it was like a process for me, because I had two people in my family die, like back to back, and Sorry. then I was just like, life is, you know, very short, it's very fragile. And you gotta spend it doing the things you actually like to do. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. So, um, when you became like undedicated to uh, your, I guess, like profession that most people um, would consider like prestigious and uh, successful because of the pay, mm -hmm. um, when you became like undedicated to this, like this, this construct. Uh, what was like, how did you start like removing yourself uh, from the, the profession? Yeah, so for me, it was less about becoming undedicated to the company and more about rededicating myself to me because like we all are responsible for the things that we do in life. So if you don't have a good life at the end, you look back and it's your own choices. And every day is a new opportunity to do something that you want to do. So when I realized that life is short um, and that it's important for me to do things that I want to do, to see places that I want to see, to meet different people, to spend my life not necessarily just king away at a computer screen and not making experiences, then it was easy. But I think the difficulty was that I, it was being my first job out of college and coming from a low-income family, a steady job was like the goal. Sure. So for, yeah, me, for me, too. Right, you know, so for me to like leave that to a lot of people, it's like, 
what are you doing? It's irrational. Like, it seems crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, you're exactly where we're trying to be, and then you're giving it all away. So that was the hardest part. But for me, it was like, personally, I was like, something's got to change. And everybody else is like, does it really need to change right now? But, but there's a saying I always hear, it's like, the first best time to do it was yesterday, the next best time is right now. Yeah. So, there's a similar quote on the, uh, the board in the hostel right now. Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, the second one. Um, I, it's actually on my phone, but it says something to the effect of, um, whatever you knew you were supposed to do yesterday, do that today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's so good because it talks about like opportunity goes and it always comes. It's always renewing. You always have a chance to do something. Um, and I think a lot of people take that goal for granted. And they're like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. But I see it the opposite way. It's like I'll do it right now because I didn't do it yesterday. You know? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I've been seeing that with uh, like like older travelers too. I guess like travelers that are probably like, um, let's say like mid 40s or, or early 50s or actually maybe even a, a bit beyond. I'm, I'm really horrible at guessing ages, um, but they seem to be like doing that exact same thing as they're like, well, I didn't do it yesterday, but yeah. let's let's fucking do this. Yeah, absolutely. And you can tell they're happy. It's it's not about age. It's just about like finally just do what you want to do. Right. Like you didn't do it yesterday. It's not gone. Do it right now. All right. Yeah. So. Okay. So you just you like you have this beautiful mindset. Uh, that, that changed because you realized it was just simply the right thing to do. Um, what do you, like, where did you go from there? Like, to, to like, I mean, you just completely took yourself off a course that um, society is saying, hey, this is this successful path, you're already here. Yeah. Like, how, how did that change? And what, what did you like start looking at? Yeah, so for me, I've always had, I guess I'd call it an entrepreneurial mindset. So growing up, um, in, in third grade, I had a teacher. I got in trouble because after Halloween, I took all my candy to school and I started selling it to my classmates. <laughs> one, of my, one of my friends in elementary school told on me. Like, he told the teacher, he's like, oh, he's selling all of his candy. And the teacher asked me, is this true? Are you really selling your candy to your classmates? And I was like, yeah. She's like, you can't do that. But... Um, I'm gonna teach you something. And I was like, what? She's like, the word entrepreneur, it's someone who owns their own business. She's like, here is not the place for it, but keep that spirit. And that conversation always stuck with me, partly because I wasn't very fond of this teacher. <laughs> like, she's very strict. She knew exactly what to say though. Yeah, but she really cultivated something that she noticed in me. How old were you? In what I grade? was in the third grade, so maybe eight. Um, and literally, this conversation, I still talk to her, like I talked to her today for my birthday. She wished me a happy birthday. But she really cultivated that into me. So by the time I got to college, I was doing, my, I was like doing tons of things. I was writing for people, I was graphic design, I was like doing as much as I can to make money, even through parties. Because I was in the marching band, so we'd host these huge marching band parties and charge $5 for a cup. And then find the cheapest vodka that you could find and just pour it in in Hawaiian punch and people would get come and get smashed. Right. So, and that's what they want, so yeah, and, it works perfectly. Right. And we made and we paid our way through college like this. So um, so for me going out, the reason one of the reasons I was so unhappy with like the structured sixty hour work week 
is because I didn't feel like I had my hands in enough places. I felt like I was doing one thing and I didn't like that thing at all and I didn't have time to do anything for me. Like your issue wasn't what, with doing one thing, it was just that the one thing that you were doing and pouring your like heart and soul into, it wasn't what you enjoyed, right? Right, okay. right. And it was a little bit of that, it was also partly a little bit of you know, where my values lie. I felt like my values slightly different from the values of the company. Um, because in investment banks, everything is about the dollar. Like, you know, it's a business. And sometimes it's not business smart to have people work at a company, even if they've been there for a long time. And then, you when, this yesterday, yeah, uh, then when it happens, you let them go. And that sucks. And I, I knew like, yeah, people have to do this, but I didn't think I wanted to be doing it right now in my career. Like, I didn't feel like it was the best place for me, especially since I joined HR to help the people, like to protect them from the company. Really? Is yeah. that, that was the reason why? Yeah, because... Wow. that's really awesome. Literally, yeah. That, but that's really not what it's like in the U.S. You protect the company from the people. Um, <laughs> so it's like, if they call you with a claim, you're like, how much risk does this put the company? Is this like, is it talked to you just like that? Like, how much risk does this pose to the company? Um, in the industry, it's not so much taught that way, it's just practiced that way. In school, it's not taught that way at all. In school, it's like, if someone comes to you, you sit down, you investigate, you figure out what, how can you do right by them, what's the best thing you can do to make sure they're having the best experience. But in industry, it's like, this is a business, like, things happen, and we just need to make sure that we're safe, because any one of these can be on the front cover of the Wall Street Journal, and that has monetary consequences. You know, so it's like, what do we need to do to make this go away, essentially? And, yeah, it's a little different. And that's not to say, like, the, com the company I work at, I worked at, I believe, was pretty ethical on the ethical end of it, but it's an industry thing and not a company thing, you know? Like, so. Yeah, I can see how that would be, like, very painful to have to, to be the, the guy that's letting somebody go that's yeah. worked for the company for like, let's just say like 20 years yeah. and like you know like that's their I mean like they're going to be retiring soon yeah. Yeah. yeah wow that's rough so okay so you you removed yourself uh, for like really awesome reasons and then you started following your passion with writing mm -hmm. uh, my uh, I've had a few conversations recently about writing because mm -hmm. of I'm getting into writing as well. Yeah. It's one of those things that uh, growing up in school, I mean, I, I sucked at everything in school. Um, just like everything, like math, any sciences, like chemistry. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing that I, I could for some reason do was writing. Yeah. And it was just always like A, A, A. And I always just saw it as like, yeah, of course it's an A, like I know how to do that. But I, you know, I was just too, too young and, and stupid to think like, Oh yeah, that's something you're good at. Go with that. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, I've been doing that recently. <laughs> um, just like writing small like blog blog posts about traveling and, yeah. and things that I've learned about traveling. Yeah. And also a little bit about Spanish, uh, but I'm still talking out of school. But, yeah. Like learning about languages. Yeah. 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 It's been a really good feeling. That's cool. Yeah. So how long have you been writing? Um, like writing for my blog, I've been 
writing for about, I guess, two months. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and then uh, like the podcast thing, you know, just very recently in the past like three weeks. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And uh, I feel the same way about it. It's just something that I've wanted to do for literally years. I probably started about eight years ago um, when I started watching podcasts on YouTube. Yeah. And, and I feel the same way. It's just, it fits so well. And I've noticed that with, like, with writing and then with like, conversations with travelers. Yeah. They, you, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. It just, it's just, it's like, a, it just flows. Yeah. That's true. That's good. And that's a good feeling to have because a lot of times we end up being put into jobs that we don't necessarily like. We just do it because we have to because that, that's what the job entails. But to choose a job is it's a special thing, you know. Like, it's a special thing to choose what you want to do with your life, you yeah. know. So, so with your, your writing, um, how did you choose, like, I think this is the problem that people get to is like, they they get to like the point we were at where they're like you know I need to I need to remove myself from the profession that I'm at even though it may be considered successful yeah but they don't know what to do after they say pick something whether it be like acting or maybe like they think that or or they're good at fighting or or they're good at like or or they're good at making coffee like whatever it is like okay so specifically for writers um, like I think they lack that well. What do I do next? Do I just start writing? Who do I contact? So for you, I, I know that you've you've written for like some some like well known uh, like companies. Yeah. How did you uh, like start navigating in, into that? Yeah. So the first thing I did is I knew I wanted to be a writer, so I started writing. Like I I started writing for my own blog first of all, just you know so people could know, but also. I was really good at writing just like you were in school and so I made a lot of connections with my professors and one of them, his dad had a private investigation firm and he's like, oh, you're really good at writing? We need some content for our LinkedIn profile. Do you think you'll do this? You could do this. And I was like, yeah. He's like, how much should we pay you? And at this point, I'm like, I don't know what I'm worth. Like, I don't know what people get paid for this. I don't want to tell him too much and him be like, whoa, that's way too much and I don't want to be like, too low, so I asked him like, "What what can you guys pay?" That's how I would have yeah. like, answered it with another question. <laughs> yeah, and and luckily they they were pretty reasonable, and they said, "Oh, we can pay you fifty dollars a post, and there's some flexibility if we really like what you put out, maybe more." So I started writing, and I found a way to write about what I already knew about, what I already liked, and tie it into private investigation. So, like I mentioned before, I'm a musician. I can play seven instruments. I wrote an article about why private investigators are exactly like jazz musicians. And he read it and he loved it. And he's like, I'm going to pay you $100 for this article because it's perfect. And like that kind of thing was easy for me to find out what I already liked doing and match to what I knew people needed. But I think when I was looking for, like when I left my job and I was looking to get back into it, I did a skills assessment. So I wrote down a list of what can I do? What expertise do I have? I was like, well, I know HR. I know um, how to interview. I know about the resume. I know about music. And I just wrote it all down. And then I wrote about what I can make money doing. I was like, people make money writing. They make money designing. They make money playing music. And then I took a hotspot, which was the two in the middle, and I, the, from both. 
And those things, I said, okay, which of these do I think I would commit myself to? And I started with writing. And then the first thing I did was go back to that professor. And I said, hey, I know I've been in the workforce for a while, but I'm looking to leave and start my own thing with writing. Do you need anything else? And he said, yeah, actually, I'm doing some business coaching right now. If you want to write a few articles, send me a list of pitches, and I will pay you for it. And I said, fine. So I started with him, and then it helped me build a portfolio. And I joined a site called Upwork. So it's an online marketplace where people who need stuff go, and they say, I'm looking for a writer to write a 500-word blog post about dogs, or about cars, or about whatever. And I just started pitching. And when I started pitching, I made it as personal personal as possible. So what do you mean pitching? So a pitch is basically maybe one to two hundred words about why you should be the one to take this job. Okay. So a lot of writers will tell you you should start by doing cold emails, like just reaching out to people. With something already written. Yeah. That so sense. so for me, it's, I was make it very personal. So if they say like, I need an article about, this is actually a recent example, I had someone say, I need an article about the city of Memphis, I want to know the top urban spots to go, the top restaurants, um, the top sites to see, and why we should have a family reunion there. I'm from the city of Memphis. So literally, I said, I know the city better than anyone because the blood of Memphis runs in my veins. And they were like, you sound like you're the man with the plan. And just like that, I had a new client. So every, the thing is it takes a lot of work to make it very personal. It's because everybody will say, oh, I can write well, like check out my blog, but not everyone will really sell them on it. Like you can't be a person for the job. You have to be the person for the job. And that's, that's how I started finding clients. Um, right now I don't have like a mega clientele, but my name is my, is my business. Like, so the work that I do is all that I have, and my service is the number one product that I sell. Just customer service, just going above and beyond, making sure that they're satisfied every time. And it's hard sometimes, because it takes a lot of time, and you do not necessarily make a lot of money initially, but if you keep them coming, they'll keep coming, and they'll keep telling people about you, and it grows. So it's slow at first, but it can be done, so yeah, I think... Uh, I think that's important that, like how you mentioned, like, you're the business, <laughs> and uh, I, I think that, like, as, as society evolves, um, especially with technology, that we're, we're going towards the direction of each person is the business, and that seems like the most efficient way to go, too, because if you're the business, then you, for the most part, depending on the profession, you can be location independent, yeah. um, you can be independent of any boss, yep. um, you have all the time literally in the world because you don't have to go do something for somebody ever. It's yeah. just, you just do what you need to do for yourself. Yeah. And I've noticed that uh, there's a lot of like, um, uh, like smart people on Twitter, like Naval Ravikant mm-hmm. and uh, Tim Ferriss, that have talked about like uh, the productization of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important for people. Yeah, it's a big thing. And I think you're right on the head about where we're heading. Like, I read a statistic about 2040, 50% of the workplace will be a gig economy based. So people just doing small jobs from different people based on what skills they have. I've heard that too. Yeah, yeah. What was that from again? I read a statistic. Actually, I don't remember where I got it from, but yeah, it's, same here. Like by 2040, it's estimated 50% of the workplace 
will be gay-based, so. I think that would be really good for society, too, yeah. because, like, the the more people that, that start doing this, I mean, the happier people are going to be. So, I mean, just generally, I, I would wager that the happiness of people is slowly going to rise as we get to 2040. Yeah. And there's that many people that, that are, like, uh, just doing what they love. Yeah. It's, I, I really, like, I mean, I, I obviously don't have a lot of money, um, or else I wouldn't be staying in a hostel, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you're the same. You would be taking classes, like, you know, in a like, very, like, private place or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that we're both at the point where we know, even, even if we do, like, have, you know, a nice savings in the bank, yeah. or none, is that... Uh, uh, pr pretty much that so time is money yes but money is also time so and I think it's important to look at these these two like sources uh, like inversely with one another yeah and time is is the most important like commodity that we have so true you know and there's so many people that have a shitload of money working at banks or uh, or like say CEOs of, of companies yeah. that they didn't found yeah. and they're not happy. Yeah. And then you talk to people that, that have a very limited amount of money but they're very time worldly. Yeah. And you can tell they're just Yeah. They're in a sweet spot. Yeah. I totally agree. For me, like I feel like I'm happier today than I ever was knowing I had to go to work like at a company for 60 hours a week and never have anything really to show for it you know like and and I think you're right it's like people waste so much of their time trying to make money but once you lose that time you can't buy it back with that money so you can always make money it'll always be there for you and you can even do it in ways that you don't have to sacrifice so much time um, but it's, it's kind of a thing that's overlooked because people are like, oh, make money now because you're young, you're energetic. No, travel now, see the world now, like live now. Like, you can't live for tomorrow because tomorrow's not even promised. Man, and if you like, you do take, say all that time, especially like in your youth, in your prime, and you put it towards uh, like working for somebody, right? Like somebody else's business. Um, and you and you do make a lot of money, but it's like the like twenty years of your life, say from like twenty to forty years old. Yeah. Okay, now like arguably some of the most precious like time in your life is gone. Yeah. And you have that money sitting there. Yeah. I, I think I mean I'm I'm not like obviously not that old yet, but I, I would think that if I did do that I would look back and I would be like, damn, like I I was young, I should have just done something that I enjoy doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think on the flip, there's a lot of people that work for companies that actually enjoy. They work a moderate amount. Sure. They can get on vacation. And I think if that works for you, do it. It, it depends but, on the profession, man. Yeah. Like if you're like a, a doctor, like a surgeon. Mm -hmm. Okay, of course you're not going to be for the most part location dependent. Yeah. Um, you are going to have a boss more than likely. Yeah. Uh, but if, as long as you enjoy doing that, I'm. Yeah, I, I guess I should be clear. Like I'm not like. Uh, I'm not saying that working for a company it, for your whole life is bad, mm -hmm. in the least. If you enjoy doing that, yeah. more power to you, that, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but I do think it does depend on the profession. Right. Because like, say you work for a restaurant for, yeah. for 20 years, yeah. 
Um, I think, yeah, I yeah, also think at, so. at some point, I think that you might want to say like, uh, yeah, I should, I should start my own restaurant. Or, That's true. Or something like this. That's true. I hope, but I also think it depends on the person too. Like, mm. I know people who are servers and they're really good at being servers, and they've been serving for forty years and they couldn't imagine doing anything else. And like, as much as I would like to say, go start your own restaurant. They just don't have that, you know, that desire to. They're like, oh, I'm paid well here. I get three weeks of vacation, and I love it. And I'm like, that's not how I feel about yeah, the world. But possibly that's how it is for you, and you know. Yeah, I I've been struggling with that recently. Yeah. Because like, uh, I, like I want to think that everybody, no matter like what like position that they're currently at in life, they can be uh, very happy and, and very fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I could be just completely fucking wrong. I, I don't know, but I think that with some professions, like specifically like a waitress mm-hmm. uh, or, or a waiter, like I think at some point you might want to choose something like that you love a little bit more I I could be totally wrong I I don't know that's that's a really good point yeah yeah I mean I don't know for sure but I'm sure there are people you know who are doing jobs that I would never do that love it and actually I do know this for sure because I've done some very crappy jobs like I worked in a warehouse once we had no air conditioner we were moving boxes like risking up putting our body on the line for 850 an hour and I'm like I hate this I could never do this and the guy working beside me had been there 30 years and I asked him I said mr. Charles tell me like if you could do anything else what would you do he said I don't think there's anything else I would rather be doing and I'm like you have to be kidding me like you can't love moving boxes that's powerful right you know yeah, I, I might have to rethink this idea a, a little bit more. That's I just think, yeah, people are very strange and they are different and they have different viewpoints. And it, it was like, I also had this realization when I was talking to a friend who works at Starbucks. And I told her, like, in school, if I would ever get, like, a, like a good, if somebody wrote good on my paper, I would take that as an insult. Like, why just good? Like, why why am I not great? You know, like, or there is, we were getting ready to be evaluated at work, so I was chatting with my friend, telling her, like, I'm afraid that they're gonna say that I'm average, because you get rated on a scale of one to five. And my fear is that I would be a three, placed with the majority of the people. And she's like, if I was placed in a three, I would be so happy. Like. Because I'm not below average, you know? Average is fine for me. And I just realized, like, people see the world so differently based on their experiences. Maybe, maybe that's the difference between, like, uh, like, people that have that line of thinking and then, like, us that, you know, we kind of... It's not that we're striving for more. We just want to be, like, really good at whatever we're doing. I, uh, that's probably what it is. It's just, like... Um, the, the people that, that do have that mindset of, of wanting to be like really like a good like a just great example of whatever like profession that that they're in yeah maybe that's that divide where you know if, if you in, if you're not in that mindset mm-hmm. then sure like yeah other jobs might it might literally be for you yeah um, but just yeah. I, I struggle with it like I, I think that our lenses are, are different in that yeah. regard. Yeah, I, yeah, I think for, for people like us that are very achievement oriented, like are always striving, 
it's, dif it's difficult to see how you could be content in not being at the top. You know, it's like, yeah. like for me, there's, I'm, I'm achiever oriented, I'm, but I like teamwork, but I also am a little competitive too, because that's how I help myself figure out, you know, where I am in comparison to others, and it motivates me. Um, and it's not like a unhealthy amount of competitiveness, it's just enough to say like, okay, I have friends in my age who are doing way more things than I'm doing, what can I do better, you yeah. know? And it helps me be more self-critical about myself and strive for improvement. But a lot of people, they don't rate that very highly on their list of values, you I, know? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I'm learning a lot right now about uh, just like competitiveness and stuff as, I, as you're like talking. Mm -hmm. um, I was like the same way in the Marine Corps with like, uh, like physical fitness tests. Mm -hmm. Um, where like you you receive like a certain score um, at the end of like your, your test. There's a PFT and then a CFT. Yeah. And the CFT, I can't remember ever getting lower than a 300, which is like perfect. But then the PFT, um, uh, I never got a 300 once, and it was because my run I couldn't get down to 18 minutes. I could do the 20 pull-ups, I could do the 100 crunches, but the run just it killed me, and I think the, the fastest I ever ran the, the three miles was like, I think it was like 19 minutes and 36 seconds, so like a minute and 36 seconds shy of the perfect score that I needed, and like simply like how you were saying, like, you know, I would keep, you know, getting papers with like good or something like that, you're like, fuck, like that, yeah. that sucks, right? and like I would get these like little, uh, like plaques or whatever, mm -hmm. just like a, oh, good job, you got like a, a high score, and I like hated it. I was yeah. like, that's stupid. Like, yeah, I, I didn't yeah, get yeah. 300, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. But I, like as you were talking, and I was I was thinking about that, I don't think that that's a bad thing. Yeah, I just yeah. I just think that there's, there's uh, that's like a certain mindset, and with competitiveness, like as long as you're with like a group of people that they're competitive in that same like regard, yeah. then that's like really healthy. Yeah, yeah, I think the key is to be healthy, yeah, because yeah. there's like some amount of competitiveness where you're like obsessing over what other people are doing, and it takes away from your happiness. So as long as it's motivated, as, as it is lifting you up, then it's very useful. Or if you're using other people's like gauges of success, uh, and you're like viewing them, and you're like, like for me, it, like a perfect example is like if I look at the the guys who did get like sub 18 minutes, and then I compared myself to them versus just comparing myself to like the objective time. Yeah. Then that's unhealthy. Like yeah. you can't you can't compare yourself to other people. You've yeah. got to be like your own. Competitive. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, I agree with that totally. So, how long have you been traveling? Um, since May. So, it's um, like two months. Two, yeah. Two and a half months. Yeah. Yeah, like two and a half months. Like, was it the beginning of May or? Yeah. So I actually went on vacation to Costa Rica May seventh, and then I've been. What do you mean vacation? Like by yourself with like your pack? Like you are not? Yeah, so I so I was still working there in May at this previous company. I went on vacation. When I got back to New York from vacation a week later, I found out that one of my cousins had committed suicide. Then, so I was like, okay, I need to be home. Went home with my family. Then my grandpa, grandpa passed away. So I got on the phone with my people at work and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm coming back because there's a lot going on in my life and I, life is too short, I don't particularly like this job. 
and they said, oh, we realize that you're going through a lot. We'll give you two more weeks of vacation to just think it through and let us know. So then I did some traveling around the U.S. I popped into New Orleans to visit a friend, and I went to Philadelphia, and I went to um, Illinois. Like, I just went a few places to be around friends and family. And then after that, I was like, okay, I kind of got a good idea that I like this freedom thing a lot. Like, I don't feel like my life is passing me by sitting in a cubicle. And then I went back to New York, started working on my writing, started reaching out to my contacts, then decided my lease was up at the end of June. I wasn't going to renew. I was going to go to Colombia to learn some Spanish. And because in New York, I do a lot of work with um, immigrants. And, and so it helps me because they obviously a lot of them coming to the U.S. speak Spanish. And I felt like knowing this will help me be a better communicator. And also, it's been like a goal of mine. I took it in school. I've always been achievement oriented. And it felt like I spent so much time on this to not be able to, to speak it. It's like one of my biggest disappointments. So My last conversation, uh, the, the person I was talking to um, mentioned the same thing, how they've uh, been like helping immigrants like integrate into uh, like the, the new countries that they were uh, that they're now living in mm-hmm. um, what work have you been doing with like helping in, like immigrants like just you know like uh, like living in the US and uh, like settle down now that they're away from from danger in their, their home countries yeah so my work primarily focused around immigrants who needed protection from the U.S. government. So what we would do is we would just go up to show up to their court dates and be a community for them because the statistics show that if someone has community, then they're less likely to recommit crimes, they're less likely to do anything that would jeopardize their their sanctuary status. So we just gave them community. We didn't judge them, we didn't care about what the case was, regardless of what they had done before. All we did is we showed up, we claimed them as our friends, we always called them our friends, and we just sat and we just sat in the courtroom with them. We weren't disruptive or anything, we just said, yeah, these, these are our people, you know? And so that, that's mostly what my work focused around. Um, oh, what are, I'm not familiar with, with this work. What are the specifics of uh, like the protection from, from the U.S. government? Yeah, so sometimes they, immigrants who come to, to the United States, especially in New York, they have uh, basically like secret court dates and it's like your, your family member can go to court and then you'll never see them again. You won't know where they are because they well, just got deported. It's like set up like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we what we do is we just shine a light on them. You know, we're just saying like, oh, we see you, we're here, we, we're standing for our people to make sure they have due process. And the judges are a lot of times much more lenient in these cases because they're like, this is someone who, you know, is not being disruptive to society. They're just here to support their family. Um, we realize that they may or might not have a prior record, but as for now, they're being fine. There's no reason for them to not be able to stay in this country with their family. And sometimes there's minor infractions, like in New York, to get on the subway, $2.75. That's a deportable offense if you jump the turntable. Oh, shit. And I've had times, hopefully the NYPD isn't listening, where I left my my I, my subway pass at home 
and it's 2 a.m. in the morning, I'm leaving the bars, and I'm like, I'm just going to jump in, you know, and ha had I been someone who, you know, was just here for Sinking Sanctuary, that could have been worth them taking me from my family yeah. and sending me back to a country where I wasn't safe. Yeah, that's a powerful statement. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about getting on a fucking subway, mm -hmm. uh, so just like transportation to get to or from somewhere, yeah. um, which means that you can't afford your own fucking car, yeah. um, and then you have the possibility of like literally being uprooted from your family. Mm -hmm. That's that's powerful. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very, it's very uh, like unfair. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, like. I think it's very important that society stops viewing uh, people as citizens of countries. Um, I, I get, I get the connection that people might have to like certain areas in the world, mm -hmm. but I think it gets very uh, complicated when you start saying um, and defining yourself strictly by, like, say, being a Colombian. Yeah. Or being uh, an American, or being uh, British, or whatever it is. Yeah. Like once you start doing that, then you, I think, can slip into this mindset where it's like, oh well, it's okay. Like uh, this guy wasn't an American, so like, yeah, deport him. You know, which literally means like take him away from his or or her from it, their family, and then they have the possibility of never seeing him again yeah. because of money. Yeah. And you know, it's, you say this, and I agree with you totally. But for many people, they'll hear this and they'll think that's a revolutionary statement. Like, like you can't say this because I feel like a lot of people are so connected to, like, I was born here, you were born there, and if you come here and you break the law, then whatever we do to you is your own fault. Mm -hmm. And I didn't. It's just like viewing it like the principle of it. Yeah. Of, of, of it, like zoomed all the way in on the situation. Right, right. And sometimes you gotta zoom out from the trees to see the forest and see that, at, like, away from those trees, all of them are pretty much basically the same. They, you know, they, they look the same, they're equal in the eyes of God because God sees from far away and trees look the fucking same if you're high up. I mean, excuse me, arrogance. But they look the oh, same. Fuck it. We're, we're, uh, we're independent of anybody, <laughs> so we can say whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, yeah, but they look the same when you're high up. I can attest because I was paragliding today. <laughs> I really like that analogy. I, I'm a huge fan of analogies too. Yeah, I think that like you just you have to pull that microscope up because I, I get it. Like uh, I'm very principle based based too in some things. Like sure, yeah. Like if somebody steals something, you can't you can't steal something. Um, yeah. As as like entrepreneurs, um, yeah. We don't want anybody stealing our work. Right. But at the same time, like if somebody does steal something from us, uh, I sure as fuck don't want them pulled away from their families. Right. With the possibility of them, one, not seeing them ever again, or even for a month. Yeah. That, that's that's not cool. Yeah. It's yeah. It's like I feel like we as a culture are very um, focused on crime, like on punishment. So it's like we need to punish you as strict as possible so that you know that this is bad. But typically, we don't do a good job at rehabilitating people in general, and the punishment rarely matches the crime and severity. And so I think- like the history in the United States of uh, like smoking weed and then being thrown in jail. Yeah. Like there's, supposedly, it, now that I'm saying this, this seems fucking crazy, yeah. but supposedly there's still people in jail yeah, they are. And literally the only fucking reason that they're in jail right now 
for decades is because they got caught with some weed. Yeah, that's very true. It's crazy. <laughs> I, I was like, I, I mean, as, as somebody that was like in the Marine Corps, uh, like I've smoked weed like many fucking times. Yeah. Uh, especially when I got out. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm not in jail. Yeah. Yeah. And these people that did the exact same thing as me. Yeah. They just got caught, and now they're in jail for decades. And there are people the now. That's so true. And there are people now making millions on this very drug because it's legal. So uh, if that doesn't show you like how fragile the law is and how fast it can change. And people the, who are victims of the law, they don't get that time back. It's gone now. For, you serve this. Yeah, it, it, it fucking pisses me off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah. I always tell people like the law should serve the people and not the the, the other way around. And the law is living and breathing, and it should be flexible to to change and like. We should be re always reevaluating whether these laws make sense. Like, why is this a thing? You know, like, is this principle rational? You know, and a lot of times people don't want to have that conversation. It's if you critique the law, then you are critiquing your country at its core, and that's not true. Yeah, you're, you're too zoomed in, and even if you were questioning your country, who gives a fuck? That right. Is, like, that means something to you? Right. Why, why does that mean something? Right. You're literally talking about a fucking boundary that doesn't even exist. visible line. It doesn't right. even exist. <laughs> the boundary literally doesn't even exist. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, so true. Yeah, that's, that's really important, I, I, I think, for people to remember and to, like, pull that just pull the microscope back just a little bit. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, okay, so you've been traveling for like three months now. Yeah. All right. Um, where, where are you going now? And I think the same thing with like writing and stuff. Yeah. People have the same, uh, the same problem. It's like, okay, well, now I'm, I'm, I'm writing. I finally like changed courses. I'm doing something that, that I like to do. But then there's not uh, some sort of like end goal, yeah. which which as much as like uh, just going with the flow is important. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to have an end goal. Um, like what is yours? Yeah. So for me, in my writing, I would like to have you know somewhat of a company that just helps people build their own companies. So. The hardest part a lot of times for getting started is getting jobs, like getting getting work to do to build a portfolio. And I'm willing to give a chance to new writers because somebody gave a chance to me. So eventually, once I have enough clientele, I'll put, seek out people who are looking to get into writing and say, hey, do you want to do this project so you can build your portfolio and also I can give my, my clients some quality work. And then over time, they start to have a portfolio and they can go out and find their own clients. And then it just becomes like a, somewhat of a writing company. And eventually I really would like to get into um, kind of brand writing for like thought leaders and influencers. So there's a type of writing that's called ghostwriting. It's when you write something in the voice of someone else and they publish it as if it were their own words. Interesting. Is it like when they, I've never heard of this. So when you, when you write it and it's published, does it actually have like the person's name underneath of it? Yep, yep. So oh. they, for all intents and purposes, they are the writers. So normally the people who do this are like CEOs, you know, um, politicians, like people who have okay. status and they do a job that, that takes a lot, exactly. 
So you sit down with them and you talk to them, you get to know their voice, you get to know their thoughts, their ideas, and then you write as if you were them. And you put it in front of them and they read it and they were they you know, they'll say, Oh, change this, 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 this is good. This I wouldn't needs say to go. this like that, I'd say it like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they publish it. Just like that. But they just don't have time to do this. But it's like almost necessary because when you are a thought leader, people expect you to think. They expect you to say stuff. They expect you to have thoughts on the industry and where it's going. And a lot of times, you're so busy in the industry, you just don't have time to do it. So, and that's part of the entrepreneurial mindset. You find a problem and you propose a solution. So the problem is they have to do this thing. They have to be putting out content. They have to be engaging with the industry. And they don't, but they just have no time. And the solution is, let me do it for you, you know? And so that's kind of where I want to go into. And it can be a stepping stone, it sounds like, for people. Like, you're, you're like this, uh, what's it called, a ghostwriter mm -hmm. for somebody. And you're, one, benefiting because you're, you're, you're honing your skills as a writer. Mm -hmm. And then you're eventually going to be that person where, like, people are ghostwriting for you. Exactly. So it's it's like you're, it's symbiotic. Exactly. And it's, it's always about this, like... So if you look at the best writers, they're not just freelance writers, they're also trainers. They're also teaching people, like, this is what I'm doing as I'm doing it. This is how I'm building my business. And that's a part of their business. Wow. So it's, it's like a, it's a holistic way of viewing, you know, the art. Because, yeah, you're writing. That takes, you know, a lot of time. And then at the same time, you have to be talking about the fact that you're writing. You have to be showing people how you're building a business because they want to do the same thing. They're interested. So it's like two different, two fronts of the business. Man, I think that's really important too. Like, because, like, think about, like, how many times do you see somebody that is, uh, say, like, not successful yet? Meaning, like, uh, like not well -made. Yeah. Right? Like, Bill Gates, before, like, or... Yeah, like Bill Gates, like, but before he was like really well known, like he wasn't writing. At least I, I don't think maybe he was. You know, like little like blogs or articles saying like, hey, you know, I'm like working on like this part of, of Microsoft and and I'm building the the company uh, like this way. Yeah. Um. You you just see like the final product and it almost makes um like being like uber successful yeah seem like it's so far away because you don't hear that voice of uh yeah well I'm currently working on this thing right now yeah. and then. All of a sudden, like two years later, or, or four months later, you're like, yeah. whoa, everybody knows who that person is. Yeah. You didn't see them in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. But there's a good podcast called How I Built This. Have you heard of it? No. What is it? So uh, it's a, it's, it's a podcast. Okay. So it's on Apple um, Podcast. If okay. you search it, it's NPR, but they take mega, mega, mega successful people like uh, the founder of Cliff Bar, Sam Adams Spear, and they have them tell their stories. And you hear like every wall they hit. They're like, we went here and we couldn't produce enough beer, so they told us they would never sell, so we had to change our name. And it's like all these curves that you would never hear about, you just hear it like in their own words, and it's so powerful. Because it, it's like not, there's us, and then there's people who attain these amazing things. It's like. Those people were us once once upon a time, you know. Sure, there are people out there who had everything, you know, they had a million dollars given to them, and they were like, find a way to make this into something. I kind of struggle with that, though. I, 
like even for super, super successful people that were mm -hmm. born into like say a wealthy family, I think it's too easy uh, for people like us that, that grew up poor to just say like, oh, we were just given something. Yeah, like sure, some people do start out with a little bit more money or, yeah. or a little bit more connections or something like that. But man, they still fucking build something. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, that I I agree with that. Like I agree that they still build something. But when you start with one penny, sure, I, it's I very like, difficult. Yes. That's not to say it's not yeah. possible, because it really is. Like, and that's the thing I love about how I built this, because you don't just get people who are like that, but you get some people who are like they're like, I had a hundred thousand dollars when I graduated from college that I had saved up in my life, or that someone gave to me, and I knew I needed to do this, and now I'm a billionaire. Like, that's still a big jump. Like, that's a, a something that Huge. a lot of people don't Huge. do. So, like, a lot of hard work goes into that. And I like that you get to hear both of those stories, yeah. you know? I think it's important to hear both of those stories uh, because... Uh, so, like, how have you been doing that with, uh, like, your own life right now? Where, like, are you, are you currently kind of, like writing about like how you're you're building your your future yeah so on my blog um so i have a medium do you know medium yeah so i have a medium account and re my last few articles have been like oh a guide to freelance this is what you need to do to get started like just in the process you know i'm not following it like today i did this and did that it's not like a like daily journal. Right. It's just like, this is what I've learned along the way. Like, this is a big lesson that I've learned along the way. Um, and eventually, you know, once I feel like I'm at a good point, maybe I'll put out an e-book or maybe I'll do a video education series or something like this. But right now, a lot of my time is spent doing the work for the clients, you know, like... So I try to write something like, oh, this is how I got my first five clients, and then maybe I'll do it when I get my first 10, you know, just like keep, keep up that way, but it's really like milestone-based, um, because so much of my time currently is spent just actually hacking away at the, at the writing, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's pretty much what I've been doing too. Like, I'm not writing it like, um, you know, like once I get to this point, I can look back, or people can look back and, and, and read it. Um, mm -hmm. It's just more of like, um, I'm writing about things that I'm interested in, uh, I'm writing about things that I think that people can benefit from, and then just kind of like knowing in the back of my head, like, you know, this is kind of almost like documenting uh, where I was at at a certain point with like my skill in writing, my like, my view of like the things that uh, I want to write about and like how that's going to change over time. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I think right now people really like this too. There's also another podcast. I can't remember the name of it, but it's about this guy who left his job at an NPR working for a podcast and started his own podcast company. And he follows it in real time. So you like hear him pitching it and people giving him advice. You hear his fights with his wife. Like you hear, uh, like his wife is like, oh my God, you quit your job, your steady job to go chase some dream of a podcast company. Is he just like holding a phone or how, like, how does that work? Like, I believe he's like, just has a recorder. Like he has a high quality recorder. So he knows podcasts because he was working on one, but like he had no idea how it would turn out while it was in the process like he's just trying to learn how to start a company essentially and so that's what's useful if you want to like ever want to start a company but it's also like so real that you hear his fights with his wife you know like and it's really really good wow. podcast um, I'll send you the name of it when I can find it but Thanks, it's yeah. awesome yeah it's like I love storytelling podcasts in general Me so too. it's a good one what's a uh, what's like your top 
let's say, like three favorite podcasts? Um, I would say How I Built This. Okay. I would say This American Life. Have you heard of this one? No. So each week they take a theme and they go to real Americans and have them tell their best stories on this theme. So you hear crazy stories about the time. It's just like the most random stories from experiences that you'll never have in your life, but for a few minutes you get to live it through someone else and get to see the world from a different point of view. And some of them cracked me up, like one of these people worked in the uh, ballet studio and their instructor told them that if you dance well, we'll win the lottery. So they go out <laughs> and they're all dancing, they're screaming, do it for the lottery! You know, like their energy is so high and they get these great reviews. Like, this is the best show, everyone go see the show, but they lost the lottery. But it's still like such an amazing story because I believe they got national press for how well their show was this night. And they were just dancing because they honestly believed that they would win the lottery for dancing. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. There's a lesson in there somewhere. I'm not going to try to pull it out right yeah. now. Yeah. Especially <laughs> after uh, like four hours of Spanish. And then, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting, uh, like, I'm fried, like, tired. But, like, if I was doing something that I didn't enjoy doing right yeah. now, yeah, was, I would just fucking pack it and go home. Yeah. So, what is, like, what is your biggest takeaway so far after like these three months of, of traveling around, uh, I guess like uh, Colombia and where else? Um, Costa Rica. And Costa Rica. Like what's, yeah. what's your biggest takeaway? Like what, what do you now know and like how is your mindset completely different than it was 90 days ago? Yeah, I think for me 90 days ago I was the kind of person that was, you know, planning my life five years at a time since I was five years old. And I felt like if I don't do it exactly how I planned it, then everything falls apart, you know, like. And I think coming to, going to Costa Rica where the national slogan is Pura Vida, which is pure, pure life. Just like live a life that you want to live. What is it again? Pura Vida, which is, it's basically, it translates literally to pure life. But it basically means like go with the flow, like live as pure as possible, like you know, have it fun. Like, it sounds like pour a beer. Pour a beer. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you could use it that way too. But it's yeah, pour a beer. We so should pour a beer after this. We should. Um, I'm going to get dinner, so if you want to yeah. come, but yeah, yeah so you. yeah, sure. But I learned that you know it's okay that this life is. It's a it's a story, and you can't necessarily predict what's going to happen in it. But if you're having fun along the way and you're enjoying it, that's what matters, because you only get one of these. You only get one life, and you're responsible for making it the best you can. So like, I've always been an achiever, and that that doesn't that won't change for me. I'll keep driving. But like, if I decide I don't want to work at this company. It's okay if they don't like me anymore, you know? It's okay if they say, like, oh my God, you, you just left us hanging. They'll be mad for a week and a half, they'll hire somebody, they'll hire someone else, and they'll move on with their life, and my life will go on. Like, just as we said before, I had to zoom out and see the forest, and see that, like, the things that worry me today won't be that important in a month's time. Yeah. And that's probably the biggest thing that I learned, you know, just packing all my 
stuff up and just going to a different country. Because uh, all my family's like, oh my God, why would you do this? You have a steady job, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it will be okay. Like, it'll, it will work out, you know? Yeah, I think uh, the hardest decisions in the moment are the ones that should be made. And when you do make those hard decisions, like you were saying, with just like uprooting, mm -hmm. like that's that's where it's at. I don't yeah. think we could end on a better note, man. Yeah, Thanks for doing <laughs> Thanks, this. Man. no problem.